Lord, thank you for this evening, and we thank you, God, for the, just the joy to be refreshed midweek and uh, have our hearts encouraged. And Lord, please, I pray that you would, as you declare in your word, that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And Lord, we're not righteous by what we've done, but because of what you've done. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would order the steps of the message, and God, that you'd be glorified in every way, shape, and form. Lord, bless your people tonight, and you say if we lack wisdom, all we need to do is ask you, and you'll give freely. And God, we need a lot of wisdom in this day and age, and everything that we're facing, and just all the, just the clanging cymbals and the sounding brass that we're inundated with in this election season, I pray that you calm and quiet our, our soul and allow us to have our eyes on you. And Lord, bless us. I, I just ask God that you would just do a mighty work tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Titus chapter 3, and it's been a while since I've been with you. Um, they just happened to put the forums uh, on Wednesday nights, and so I've been uh, doing a number of things, and I'm grateful for folks who've been filling in. Um, John Mink was, I, I had a chance to listen to his message. I loved it uh, last week. And um, I'm sorry that it's kind of disconnected, that we're jumping back into Titus and we've been away from it for a while. But put your thinking caps on and, and we'll get through it. Uh, just to refresh your memory a little bit, uh, Titus is a lot like Timothy. Um, the Apostle Paul is, it's, it's considered a pastoral epistle, the training of a pastor. And Paul's pouring into Titus's life. Uh, we don't actually know uh, if, if Paul had a chance to see him after he wrote this epistle to him because he would end up um, dead shortly uh, after arriving in Rome. And, um, and yet the letter got to Titus. And Titus, unlike Timothy, Timothy was kind of um, feeble. He had, he had stomach ailments. Uh, his dad wasn't really in, this, in the picture. He was uh, not a... a, a he was a Greek. His, his mom and his grandmother were, were Jews, um, and so he had a split home. And so Timothy is different than Titus. Titus is a little bit more rugged, and Paul parachutes Titus into the island of Crete, and he tells him to set up churches around Crete. And as we studied before, the Cretans were the worst group of people on the face of the earth, so much so that uh, the Romans would coin a term, a Cretan, and we still use it today. And it just, it depicts the most vile. I mean, they were thieves, they were liars, they, uh, they were the worst. And here he is dropping in on this island to establish some sort of civility and, and establishing uh, positions of authority so that the island and its culture would change and, and Titus would have some sort of an influence in this, this social strata of, of a, an awful world of the Cretans. And Titus was up for the job. He did an amazing work. God used him mightily. And we've been through the first two chapters taking a look at, at what uh, Paul called, Tim, or excuse me, called Titus to do. In this uh, section that we're going to take a look at tonight, Titus chapter 3, it's fitting because, you know, here we are, uh, I think there's 28, 27 days left until the election. And uh, every day we just hear this litany of things coming through. And, and, and it ties in because here in Titus chapter 3, Paul's going to speak about this idea of submission to authorities. And it is, it's very reminiscent of what we as Christians need to be equipped and prepared for uh, as we're looking at November, November 8th looming on the horizon. 
And it's, it's helpful. It helped me. Um, and there's a couple of things to take a look at tonight. But let's, let's pick up at Titus chapter 3, and we're going to take a look uh, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to read through the first eight verses, and that's what we'll study tonight. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we can get you one. Um, anyone need a Bible tonight? We're all good? It's a Wednesday night crowd. They're all prepared. Look at that. Hey. Or maybe they just don't want to raise their hand because it's going to be awkward. Uh, I'll read slowly. <laughs> verse 1. Paul says to Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, uh, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love, this is interesting because this is where you're going to see the deity of Christ. You often have times where people argue that is there only one God and how can you have the Trinity and there be one God, three separate persons, and, and they argue over the deity of Christ. This is a great scripture for the deity of Christ. Watch how it's written. He says, um, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, So there you have a clear depiction of Jesus Christ, God our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, emphasizing God, our Savior. And here it is, Jesus is the Savior. That having been justified by his grace, We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Have you ever, you know, with your kids, I've I've told you once, I'll tell you a thousand times, right? And and why? Because they're not getting it, and you got to keep doing it. And that's really what, what Paul's saying to Titus. Just keep telling him. And how many times do you have to tell him? As many times as it takes. And so here he says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Don't stop doing this. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. The word in in the Greek is philanthropos, which is philanthropy, uh, doing good things for mankind. These things are good and profitable to men. So we're going to break it down, and we're going to take a look at it in depth tonight. But it, it can be broken down basically in three categories as Paul is laying out these first eight verses. Uh, the, the first idea to look at is that Paul uh, says that we remind the people to obey those in authority. Now, to obey those in authority, we can look at, at 1 Peter chapter 2. We can look at Romans chapter 13. Uh, I, I wrote down a few of those verses that we'll take a look at tonight. Um, you know what, let's, let's just do this real quick. This is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. First Peter chapter 2, 13 through 17, if you want to look there. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who were sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, 
Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So let me just repeat this. Verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Peter's writing this. Keep that in mind. Peter's writing this. Let's go to Paul in Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. We've covered this before. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, uh, honor to whom honor. And then he says in verse eight, owe no one anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now we've covered Romans 13 uh, extensively. And, and, and oftentimes pastors will use this as this idea to submit to uh, authority regardless of the government. But I wanted to point out with Peter and with Paul, who both, say, who both say submit to authority, you know what's interesting is that both of them were put into jail for disobeying authority. So how do we mend the two? How do we bring these? How do we reconcile the two? Both, both Peter and Paul were put into prison for not submitting to the authority. Even in the book of Acts, it was Peter who said, you judge for yourselves whether, it's, whether I should obey man or obey God. And they went to prison for that. And yet Paul is, is exhorting Titus to honor authority and to obey those in positions of authority. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one. This is what Paul's saying to Titus, yet Paul himself was put into prison for disobeying authorities. Peter was put into prison for disobeying authorities. So where does that put us? And, and especially in this day and age. And, and do we have the right, and some ministers, uh, one in particular, John MacArthur, said of our founders that they were rebels, that they were out of the will of God that they disobeyed the king and they rejected Romans 13. So an illegitimate birth of a nation, in a sense. Yet 3% of the world's population, but responsible for the greatest achievements and the, the greatest generation of wealth and in the history of the world. So how could they be outside the will of God and yet God would bless, them, bless us so abundantly? And when you read Romans 13, this idea of submitting to those in authority, what's fascinating about our nation as opposed to if we were in communist Russia or it, when, back when it was the Soviet Union or if we were in communist China back before they allowed capitalism or even now, if we want to do it today, standard, let's look at North Korea. Christians don't exist there. If you want to make it really bad, go into the 1040 window where Sharia law is in place and try to survive as a Christian. And to submit to those in authority, it, it, where does that fit? What do we do as Christians? And, you know, here we are in an election cycle where we have two candidates that are anything but godly. 
right? And we've already covered this. It, we often say in the body of Christ, I'm sick of voting for the lesser of two evils. And I, I just remind you again, as, as Paul told um, Titus to affirm constantly, and I'll continue to affirm you constantly, you will always be voting for the lesser of two evils unless Jesus Christ is running for office. Okay? So how do we do this? How do we navigate this world of politics? And the word politic comes from two words, poly meaning many, and ticks meaning blood-sucking... Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd throw that out there. How do we do this? How do we... <laughs> she liked that. Okay, good. How do we do this? How do we navigate? And, and this is what's so fascinating about Titus, is that Paul knows what he's dropped Titus into in this in this Cretan world. And really, isn't it where we are today, a Cretan world? Liars, thieves, murderers. Uh, I mean, just... My, Joe Salon, a member of our congregation, is, is part of an organization called Survivors, and he goes and he contends for the unborn on college campuses and, and, and defends um, the baby in the womb. And they, you know... The idea is it's a fetus, it's not a baby. And fascinatingly enough, the Latin word for fetus is baby. And yet, he'll contend, and what happens is, when you get to this place of affirming for life and contending for these things, it's a very, it's a very um, easy position to defend. And you, you can use terms without even referring to the Scriptures. Settled science, embryologists. Uh, the sperm and the egg come together, the zygote is formed, and it can be nothing but a human embryo. It will not turn into a dolphin, it won't turn into a giraffe. It can be nothing but a human embryo, and it is alive. Now, the question is, do we extend to that personhood? And, and if we don't extend to it personhood, why? And then you go back to it, and they say, well, it's too small. And we've gone through the SLED acronym, size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency. And, and, and then you say, well, I'm, I'm personally against abortion, but I don't believe that I should force my opinion onto somebody else. Well, how can you be opposed to something and yet not stand to defend it? So you're certainly not opposed if you don't seek to defend. So to say that I'm pro-life, but I don't legislate that way, then those two are separated. And we're going to take a look tonight of something very interesting, and this is something that I, I gleaned from another pastor. It, it's, it's the way to look at, at somebody who is standing in the political realm. First is, you look at the principles, and the second thing you look for is their policies. The, the, the policies come from the principles, and then from the policies and the principles will come the politics. And the last thing we look at is the person. For example, in, in today's uh, social media world, Abraham Lincoln would have never have been elected. The Speaker of the House called him continually monkey face. They ridiculed him for, for, his, for how he looked. He was an obscure man. Many believe he had Marfam's disease, where his, uh, his, his appendages were grossly enlarged, and it, it was a condition that he was born with. It was, it was congenital. And he would have never have made it uh, pictures and the like, and they would have made all kinds of fun of him. 
And he, he would have never have survived. So if we were looking at the person, he's saying, well, I don't like that person because of the, the, the way they talk or the, the, their, their face or, or whatever it is. And so we often, in the body of Christ, reverse the process. And we put the person first, and we judge them based on how we feel about them. But the way that, that, that Paul is laying this out to Titus is that we've got to look at the principles We've got to look at the policies. We have to look at this aspect of their lives that will dictate who they are if we're going to respond to them. And so this is what, what Paul says. He says in, in Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey and to be ready for every good work. So good works are principles. It's not just works, it's good works. Good meaning that there is good and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. There are absolutes that govern. And so when we look at good works, some folks believe that good works is to defend the the choice of a woman when it comes to her body, and they believe that the work that they're doing is good. They believe that it is a it is it doesn't the the, the baby doesn't have personhood, and they're defending. I, as I was speaking with a uh, a pro-choice author um, in in a magazine, she was doing a, an interview with me, and we still have to conclude it. She hasn't uh, finished the interview, but when I pointed out in the interview, I said, I said to her, thirteen <clears throat> percent of the population of America is black. Yet 40% of the abortions in America are on African-Americans, on blacks. Disproportionately high. If, if that had not been the case, the population of blacks in America would be almost 40% since 1973. It, it, it is, it, there's been a directive, and 71% of the Planned Parenthoods in the United States are in minority communities. And as I, I shared with her, I said, you know that Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist and she wanted to get rid of the inferior races. And, and she said, whoa. <clears throat> and I said, I believe black lives matter. And she goes, ah. I go, well, tell me, I know that you're doing what you believe is good. And we had a very civil conversation. She sat in the congregation and she wept and she was touched. And she has a little baby and she's married. And, and I, I got her background and all these things. And she's originally from Australia. And I said, where, where did I miss this? And she said, well, what you're not realizing is the culture in the black community is that these women feel as though they have to engage in these sexual acts to be um, accepted, and their, their pregnancy rates are higher than in others, and so we're suppressing them. Another black pastor told me from Compton, pointed out this idea that you can be pro-life all you want, but the reason why in the black community that Planned Parenthood succeeds is because it's a way out. Your pro-life position is fine, and it's moral, but it's doing nothing to help those in the inner city come out. So if you really stand for life, then come in and give us a way out. Planned Parenthood gives them a way out. He says, I don't agree with it. I think it's, it's horrendous. But in their mindset, they believe they're doing good. How do we contend, and as, and as, and as Paul said to Titus, affirm constantly, how do we do this? How do we contend for good, and how do we describe what a good work is? See, that scale can move if there aren't absolutes. And people say, how are you doing today? I'm good. 
But what does the Bible say? Only God is good. So I say I'm well. You'll hear me say that. How you doing? I'm well. Only God is good. And from him comes good. If God is removed from the equation, the scale of good slides to whatever is beneficial. And people feel as though they're doing something good. But we must contend for the mindset of the culture. And so Paul is saying to Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and be ready for every good work. You've got to be ready for those good works. But you're to respect authority. Now, why does he say respect authority when he doesn't at times? Because government is ordained by God. We saw that in Romans 13. Government is ordained by God. God doesn't ascribe to anarchy. He establishes order. He did it through the Noahic covenant. Government is to protect the welfare of mankind and to care for mankind. But that government is only as effective in providing and protecting for people as the mindset of understanding what good is. That man was created in the image of God, that we're not some cosmic accident. And that's where the foundation comes. That's where the principles are ascribed to. If we've evolved or we've been created, as our, our Declaration of Independence says, if we've evolved or we've been created, that, that sets a whole series of principles that people will deviate and there will be polarization in a, in a, in a society. If man has evolved and we're a cosmic accident and there's no supreme authority, then what is good? What is good? And, and, and if we've evolved and there's no such thing as good and evil and it's subject to whatever the person feels, then, and there's no absolutes. And as we showed the clip in, in previous studies, 30% of college students don't believe that the Holocaust was evil. Because if they say it's evil, then they're setting a standard of morality. And in evolution, there's not morality. There's just matter. There isn't good and evil. And so when you press them and you say, you know, do you believe, and they, they say evolution, survival of the fish, you say to them, then why wouldn't rape be good? Or be profitable? Because if the idea is the survival of your species, why wouldn't you want your DNA everywhere? And they say, well, consent is, is better. Uh, you can't use the word better. That means that there's worse. You can't use good, you can't use evil. Then they would say, well, consent is, and, and they're struggling. They're struggling. Because they know the minute that they yield, They've lost the argument. And so when Paul says to Titus that we are to, to be ready for every good work, but we're to, to be subject to rulers and authorities, there's a balance. We submit to authorities because God appoints them. And come November 8th, we will have a president of the United States. And we will be subject to that authority. Now, at what point do we struggle with that authority? As, as Peter said in, in the book of Acts, you, you judge for yourselves whether it's better to obey God than to obey man. I'll tell you when the struggle will come. When the dictates and the edicts from that governmental authority contradicts and overrides what God declares for mankind. 
Now we got a problem. And that is why when you read the Declaration of Independence, why the founders put so much emphasis in a creator and establishing these rules that we would be subject to the Lord created in his image. It's a a fascinating concept. I want to read to you out of the Northwest Ordinance. You couldn't become a state uh, in, in in the brand new United States of America Um, unless you followed the ordinance of the Northwest Ordinance. So any territory that sought sought statehood had to uh, ascribe to the Northwest Ordinance. And the Northwest Ordinance was was completed in 1787. First Congress reenacted, stated religion, this is the Northwest Ordinance, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, um, Schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. So it was clearly stated in the Northwest Ordinance that you have to look for religion, morality, and knowledge. Why? As Paul would say that we're to be subject to authority, but we're to do good works. Why would our founders lay out this idea of religion, morality, and knowledge? Anyone have an answer? Does anyone care? Maybe a little bit deeper. Anyone? Bueller? Yes. Truth? Absolutes? I'm sorry? Right here. For our protection? Wisdom? The Noahic Covenant, the idea of government is protection of man. So the idea is if God is for us and we've been created in his image, and he's come to redeem mankind, and government is to protect that from point A to point B, from, from birth to death, and to reconcile to God. He wants a government that would establish what is right and wrong. Why do we have traffic lights? Why do we have uh, speed limits? Why is murder wrong? Because God said it. Not so much traffic, but I'm talking about the deeper realities of life. Why do you not steal? Why do you not covet? And when God was appointing judges over Israel, it was said to to Moses in Exodus 18, you shall select from the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers. So you're looking for good people. Why? So good things can happen. Why? Good works. Created beforehand that we would glorify our Father in heaven to protect man, to protect the unborn, to protect the weak, to protect protect the elderly, the infirm, to encourage families. This is why God set that up. You even see the government of man in Ephesians. You have God the Father, then the husband, then the wife, then the children. This is the building block of society. And so if the island of Crete is going to be transformed, Paul is saying to Titus, you've got to submit to authority and be prepared for every good work. That means you need to be wise on how to navigate in the structure of what's already established. You're going to do your best to avoid rebellion. You're going to do your best to... what Contrast, William Wilberforce is used by God to end slavery in the British Empire. And a shot is never fired. And it took him 50 years in the public square, in the civic arena, to contend 
for the evils of slavery, changed an entire culture and a mindset. In the United States of America, we had a civil war that almost destroyed us. 650,000 people died on a field of battle. The president got a bullet to the back of his head. The states were split. This man was prepared for good works, implemented them in subjection and submission to authority. This nation wasn't prepared to do that and didn't contend. Now, where does the goodness come from? In, in, in uh, 1857, Jeremiah Lanfear began a prayer meeting like we did tonight in the Dutch Reformed Church, second floor of the Dutch Reformed Church in New York, praying for revival. And there was a million new converts in America, a nation of 33 million, a million new converts in less than a year. It was a little late. We couldn't avoid the Civil War, but what occurred is that there was still a revival in the Union side and the Confederate side. Uh, Moody was an ambulance driver uh, and and a stretcher bearer in the Civil War. And they said revival was breaking out on both sides. That's why in the Northwest Ordinance, religion and morality are instrumental in the health of any nation. And so if you're going to change the island of Crete, if you're going to change any nation on the face of the earth, Paul is saying to Titus, listen, you've got to remind them to be subject to the rulers. Otherwise, you're going to have rebellion. People will die. But being subject to rulers and obey, you still need to be ready for every good work. How are you ready? The Bible says study. How do you get ready for a test? Are we here tonight? I'm just wondering, how, how do we get ready for a test? And the scripture says in 2 Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you have to be prepared for this. Be ready for every good work. How do you contend in the government of man to change a culture? You got to know the issues. You got to know why is abortion wrong? How do, you, how do you contend for good works while submitting with an author from a magazine that is pro-choice and you're pro-life? And, and, and this is a picture. Look at, look at verse 2. Speak evil of no one. You know why we're screwed up? We're so mean. I, I read today about Congressman Steve Knight, and he's made some decisions I'm not pleased with. But in this article, he was called a dirtbag. I, I don't understand that. I don't care how right you are on your position. This, this is clearly out of Matthew where it says, you've heard that it says you, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you say to your brother Raka or fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And we've covered this. You don't need a gun to kill somebody. Your words will do just fine. The reason why William Wilberforce was so successful is he was civil and kind. And he endeavored in the public square and 650,000 people didn't have to die. Now others would contend, well, while he was laboring for 50 years, you know, blacks were enslaved. This is true. This is true. But the same was true even with a rebellion and 650,000 people died. 
And the animosity carried on through the civil rights era, where in England it was never the case. So the balance, there's got to be wisdom. And that's why Paul says, speak evil of no one. And then what does he say? Be peaceable. Blessed are the peacemakers. For what? They'll inherit the kingdom of God. And this idea of inheriting the kingdom of God is that it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're peaceable, willing to yield, speaking evil of no one, then it says gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, not weakness, but meekness. Meekness is, is, as we've covered, it's a bit in a horse's mouth. This enormous beast is moved by a simple piece of metal in its mouth. As the master pulls to the right, this beast goes to the right. He pulls to the left, the beast goes to the left. Weakness is the horse can't operate. Meekness is the horse operates under authority. So how do we as Christians operate not in weakness, but in meekness? Don't confuse the two. Meekness is powerful. Meekness changes the world. Kingdom of God. We get that. We're blessed by it. How? Because our actions are governed by God. We're prepared for every good work. A horse has been broken. And thus it does the master's bidding. Yes? And he says, showing all humility to all men. And the word again in the Greek for all is all. We like to remove it when it's somebody who's contrary to our positions. And we believe we have the right to be abusive and caustic. What does that do? It's a scorched earth policy. There are no survivors. It's like nuclear war. You press their button, they press their button, and everybody's dead. You know why everyone's sick of politics? Because we're so mean. And it would change if Christians who were governed by God with meekness, a bit in their mouth, governed by the master, stepped into the public square, prepared for all good works. How are they prepared? They've studied They know how to address the issues and understand where they lie in regards to God's word. And God guides them through the maze of this world and allows us to speak evil of no one. You don't call anyone a dirtbag. And and as I watch the presidential candidates, caustic. But that, I've covered this, that's downstream. How do we do it here? This is what I love about local politics. I can't be mean to you because I live next door to you. Right? And so we need to get along because this is our community. If we don't, and, and, and this is why I got endorsed by the Ventura County Star. That's like Moses parting the Red Sea miracle. I, I kid you not. But this is what the editor said. It used to be called Tuesday Night Fights. Now it's Peace in the Valley. Do do you see? I I can't take credit for that. There's there's four council members, and, and even on Tuesday night's meeting last night, we had a closed session meeting, and to to hear the kindness and the way we interact with one another. One of the issues is we are covering 
measure AA, which is the half cent sales tax measure. I'm opposed to it. Uh, I think the majority of the remaining council is in favor of it. And we were looking at our streets and roads with slurry or weather pavement and all the aspects, and we're going to have a $4.5 million deficit. And we have some of the highest rated roads in the county, especially well, well above the average in California. We've done a good job of caring for our roads. But we are going to, in this budget issue, we're going to have a $4.5 million deficit uh, to maintain our roads to an adequate status. Some believe a half-cent sales tax measure in the county would suffice. Others think a local sales tax. I personally believe that we need to cut and figure out where it comes from. But in this course of conversation, we wanted to make sure that the citizens knew we were going to have to make a decision one way or the other. Now, I'll contend for what I believe is necessary, that in my house, if we have a deficit, we've got to cut spending. Anybody? And so others look at it and say, well, this is a simple fix, just a half-cent sales tax. Come on, that's nothing. Everybody can contribute. And others were saying, well, how many single-family dwellings are there in Thousand Oaks, and, and you divide that by the amount we need, and it comes up to about a little under $100 per household. So we just, and I'm thinking, $100, that's a lot for people. Let's, so this is, this is the idea. But in this, there's opposing views. Now, what if we said, that is ridiculous, and you are a money-grubbing, pathetic, you know, government-minded, big blah, 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 and they're coming back, you tightwad, da-da-da-da, and we and then we ha, and then and we move, right? <laughs> it's local. We work through that. We endeavor. And this is what Paul is saying to Titus. Don't speak evil of anyone. Be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I'll leave you one last thing, and then we'll move on to the next passage or the next verse. My son is applying for the United States Naval Academy, and you need a congressional appointment. I don't have my phone or I'd read it verbatim. It was really touching. And I thought, I'm going to have Claudia Bilde La Pena write a letter of recommendation to Congresswoman uh, Brownlee. I, I asked her, I, I said, would you, would you do that? Because long before I was a council member, she came to Daniel's court of honor. And she was so touched by the court of honor. And it was actually the first the troop had put on. And it was, it was and every, every that has been wonderful. And she came and she turned to Peter Foy, the county supervisor, and said, this was so profound, so touching. And, and she, she was moved by it. And ever since then, we've had a connection. And she, she's been gracious to me on the council. And we're probably polar opposites in a number of areas. But I thought, she is a bridge into a world because Congresswoman Brownlee it, it would look at what I stand for and, what she, and she would see a vast difference. And it would be easy for, for the Congresswoman to say, no kid of his is ever going to go anywhere. And I could turn, I knew that you'd do that. You're just all conspiracy, just all you're conspiring to destroy. And, blah, blah, blah. and what does the Bible say? Love what? Hopes. Love believes all things. Thank you for the correction. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Yes? And so we give her the benefit of the doubt, and I do. 
And I had a wonderful conversation with her at Calvary Community Church at the fireman's funeral. And she was very kind and directed me to the person who helped. And Claudia said, Rob, it's wise of you to ask me to write this. And I just said, Claudia, I couldn't think of anyone better because you're a bridge. And, and you, you endeavor to understand and, and to dwell with somebody in, in civility. And she was touched by that, and so was I. And it was a sweet exchange. And this is what, this is what Paul's saying. Speak evil of no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And then he says in verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish. So if you're struggling with the opposition, anybody? If, if you, like we covered on, on Sunday morning, where everyone looked at Matthew as a publican and a tax collector, but it was only Matthew's writings that said, when Jesus looked at me, he saw a man, and he didn't call me Levi, the publican. He called me Matthew, gift of God. And, and we've already come to our conclusions, and we've labeled everybody, and we're in a war, and we despise the other side. And, and Paul is saying, time out. Time out, Mr. Wright, or Mrs. Wright, or Miss Wright. Time out. Don't forget the only reason why you have an understanding and why you have a grasp of absolutes and righteousness and salvation is because of what God did. You had no part in that. I'll explain that in a moment. Paul says, for we, who's he including when he says we? (laughs) Most importantly himself, right? And Paul would say in Timothy, I'm the chief of sinners. He's saying, for we, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Folks think they're doing right, but they have no barometer. And yet what they're doing, either either known or unknown, is all based on this idea of they're slaves to sin. We're born into sin. We think freedom is having choices. We think freedom is, let me correct that. We think that freedom is the absence of restraint. And yet, we can see in a greater picture that freedom, as we've covered, is not the absence of restraint. Freedom is the ability to pursue excellence by applying restraint. Again, Peyton Manning has the freedom, the liberty to enjoy football to level Most of us never will because he applied restraint. Had he viewed liberty as the absence of restraint, he wouldn't be up here enjoying the liberty of excellence in in football. Now he's retired. He's just eating pizzas. So for us, we were slaves to righteousness. Now God comes in, changes us, and now we apply restraint to evil in order to pursue excellence. But that's not the whole world. And when we look at folks who aren't there yet, we have to be mindful that we were once there. And and we're beggars showing other beggars where the food is. We don't get saved so that we can be self-righteous and impose our unbelievable knowledge to ridicule mankind and to call them dirtbags. Everybody following? All right. We'll get through this. Hang in there. I've got 25 minutes. I'll only use 24 of them. 
No, I'll get you out of here. Verse 4, this all changed, Paul says to Titus, this all changed when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. It's an epiphany. God showed up in a world ruined by sin. Man killing one another, Cain killing Abel, awful. And God appears, and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. He instituted it. So if he did that to a rebellious, miserable world, don't you think us as the redeemed should do that to others? Anyone? So he says, this is who we were once, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, God just showed up. And, and you remember Ken Graves' picture, the equivalent. You're walking along and you smell this god-awful smell. And, and you look down and there's this carcass and it's just covered in maggots of a dead cat. And, and you just, it's sickening and just the smell and these little, right? I remember one time I, I kicked a cat that was laying there, the carcass of it, and it just smelled awful. And I just wondered what, and I kicked it. And when it turned over, just laden with maggots, just laden, okay? And they're all feeding on rotten flesh, right? And the more rotten, the better they feel. Now, the Bible says, that God became man and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. He left heaven to take on the form of a maggot. Now, the, the distance, is, as Ken Graves would say, the distance between me and that maggot is measurable, but the distance from where God was to where man is is immeasurable. And he dwelt with us. And he came into the misery of it and the sickness of it and the rottenness of it and took on flesh so that the light would come into the world and transform the world. The island of Crete, the city of Thousand Oaks, the nation, this is what he did. And as he comes in, not when, when we deserved it, we couldn't do anything to beckon him to come. He appeared. And as he appeared, he brought in this, this, this beauty, he brings love to a world of hate, to a world of death, to a world of disease, to a world of a fallen, destroyed world of rebellion. And he comes in with love, love. And not just that, it was the kindness that drew him. And Paul says, remember that, Titus. God did it. Because look at verse five. Not by works. You, there's nobody in this room I don't care how good you are morally. You didn't do one single thing to contribute to your salvation. Not one. Not one. Nicodemus, Nick at night, right? He is the teacher of Israel. Nobody, he's, he's renowned in the history of Israel. There he is. He comes to Jesus at night. He says, he, he wants to understand all this. And, and Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, well, I what, crawl back in my mother's womb? He says, no, born of the spirit. 
Regeneration. And this is where Paul picks up. He says, not by works of righteousness. Listen, Titus, you, if there's morality and if you could be saved by your works, you're in. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Born again. Uh, that, that's the very clear picture of it. And renewing of the Holy Spirit. God came in, started the work in you, and he's renewed you. And it's, it's, it's present and continual until Christ comes. And he says, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is nothing we're lacking if we'd but ask. We're not relying on the Lord. We're relying on what we think we can do, our self-effort. Paul says, are we so foolish that, that we've been saved by grace and we've abandoned that to pursue works? Oh, foolish Galatians. He says, for he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I shared this on Sunday, limited on time, but I'm, I'll, I'll briefly share with you. God has been just hammering me lovingly with this concept of justified. And it has such inroads into the LDS community. And, and even Sandy commented, Sandy Everett, the school board candidate, as she was sitting right over here on Sunday morning, she, she's teary-eyed. And as I was pointing out, speaking with one of the 12 apostles, Elder Oaks, and, and then driving back with these other LDS folks, and I said, you have sanctification down, but you're missing justification. The evangelical world has justification down, but we're missing sanctification. We don't operate in good works. We got our get out of hell free card. Screw everybody else. We don't engage in the culture and we're not prepared for every good work. If I need something done, community-wise, trying to get evangelical pastors in a room together to agree on anything is the porcupine theory. You got a lot of great points, keep them away from me. But if we want to get trees planted, call the LDS. They were awarded last night the Oak Award because of all that they've done in the beautification of the city. Um, Just Serve is a website that they put together that they give free of charge to any nonprofit that needs to use it. They won't even put their name. They'll even help you put your name on it so that you can do community organization. They're prepared for every good work because they think they're saved by works. We're justified. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And we're thrilled by that, but we're not prepared for every good work. We don't do public square stuff. You know why? Because we don't want to get dirty. But, but how's the island of Crete going to change? Paul's saying to Titus, you don't speak evil of anyone. You're peaceable. You're gentle. You're showing all humility to all men. You obey authority, and you're prepared for every good work. Get engaged. And he says, remind yourself that you were once just like the people that you're contending with in the marketplace, in the public square, and that you've been saved by grace, not of works. This is the regeneration, the washing of the Holy Spirit to transform the world as it transformed you. Now get in there and do this. Having been justified by his grace. Justified is so significant. Not only does it apply God's mercy, not getting what we deserve, But in the world of sin, that archer's term where the arrow lands and the bullseye is, is a sin distance. I've shared this. God, it's not like we have to keep trying to hit the bullseye. He just moves the bullseye to where we are. 
and we're saved by grace through faith. That should overwhelm us and realize that God became a maggot. Immeasurable distance took on flesh to bring life into a world living on on rotting carcasses, devouring one another. And he comes in and he's beaten and he's scorned and he's spit upon and he's mocked. And the only autobiographical statement in the entire scriptures of Jesus towards himself, learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart. Not weak, meek, submitted to the Father. As I obey the Father, so you obey. That bit. You're prepared for every good work. Go here, do this, love them. And as I shared with the LDS, they see this idea. They, they audibly groan. That would be great if the two could come together, meaning this. I said, one of your leaders asked us for a loan. We didn't loan him the money, we gave it to him. He wept. And I said to these other leaders, I said, why did he come to me and not you? because he was afraid that he'd be judged. But he knew me. He's heard my sermons that I'm the most pathetic human being that's ever walked the face of the earth as a pastor. I, you guys are either in full agreement or going, no, pastor. <laughs> but I know who I am, right? And to be candid and transparent in my, my faults and my failures He knew I was approachable. And I said, wouldn't that be wonderful if we could bring that together? And we'd have to change the Christology. You have to understand that there's only one God. And and, and, and we worked through that. This is happening. And so this idea of having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then the last verse, and I'll get you out of here. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to who? To who? Society. Do not tell me that you have no role in government. That's a cop out. And if you're not prepared for every good work, you won't do every good work. There's there's too many measures. There's too many. Know them because the welfare of your fellow human beings that you share this plot of land with look to you because you know good from evil. You know what's right. You know how to help them. You have the right principles because you've studied Navigate them. Be patient with them. Be kind to them. Love them. Be peaceable. And this is what changes the island of Crete. It's what changes the world. George Washington said, in tendering this homage to the great author of every public and private good, speaking of God. I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments not less than my own, nor those of my fellow citizens at large less than either. 
No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. And then bracketing his years in service in his farewell address in 1796, he wrote this. Of all the dispositions and habits which led to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician equally with the pious man ought to respect and cherish them. And then he added, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Do you realize how brilliant those words are? And how we have neglected that as a people of God. Regardless of the outcome, come November 8th, we have the ability to transform a culture. We went from Tuesday night fights to peace in the valley in our bean patch. We're not finished yet. There's more work to be done. We don't have to change the world. We just own what God has placed in our care and do good and be kind. And remember where we came from and show the other beggars where the food is. Amen.